If you have your Bible this morning, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, a really exciting chapter in the Bible. And so we're going to read a particular verse in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Uh, Look at what it means and what it doesn't mean together. We're continuing our study through the series Twisted, Commonly Misused Verses. And so we've looked at several verses that we, we take out of context or maybe we apply the wrong meaning to. Sometimes we actually teach the opposite of what the verse is saying. And we want to make sure that we're careful readers and studiers of God's Word, that we're actively seeking, God, what do you want for me to know from your Word? And so we're going to look this morning at, at a verse in Acts chapter 2 that that I'm going to put this in the category of, I think our church gets this verse. I'm going to put this in the category of, I assume that if you've been in a Baptist church for very long, you understand not to twist this verse, but maybe it's a troubling verse. It's a a difficult passage when you read it, because you know what you believe, but this verse seems to teach something else. So we're going to read a particular verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, about being baptized. And the reason why I even included this in this series, this particular verse, is not because I was worried that our church got it wrong, but I know that there are many churches who who read this verse and interpret interpret it very differently from how we interpret it. Read it very differently from how we read it. And so I think it's important that we understand what this verse is saying, what it means, and how we are to properly read the Word of God, even in a difficult verse like Acts 2, 38. So to to set this verse up, instead of reading all of chapter 2, let me just share with you that that Acts chapter 2 is an exciting, exciting chapter in the Bible. In Acts chapter 2, or in chapter 1, we see Jesus is ascended uh, to heaven. He's left the disciples on earth and said, go and start my church, but wait until I tell you. And it is in, in the first couple of chapters of Acts that we see God the Father sending God the Holy Spirit down onto the disciples at, a, at an event we call Pentecost. And at this time, the disciples, for the first time, are fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. And miraculous things take place. We see them speaking with, with tongues of fire over their heads. Right? Now, if, if you ever see me show up on a Sunday morning and preach a sermon with a flame above my head, please call the fire department, okay? This is not part of the plan. However, in this particular context, God does an amazing work. The, the apostles start teaching and preaching, and while there are people of various nationalities and languages present, everyone hears the apostles in their own language. So while they're preaching in Aramaic or, or possibly in, in Hebrew or in, in Greek, while they're preaching in their language, someone from a totally different language is listening and hearing. The Holy Spirit's miraculously interpreting the words for them. And we see thousands and thousands of people respond to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It is an amazing chapter to see God unleash the Holy Spirit on the disciples and eventually on the new believers in Christ. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, is preaching his first evangelistic message after Pentecost. He's sharing with the crowds that are with him about the truth of Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter's message breaks and convicts the hearts of the Jewish audience listening to him. 
And as these Jewish people hear Peter's message, uh, they ask Peter, what must we do? We're convicted and brokenhearted. What is the application, Peter? And listen to what Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What an exciting verse for Peter to say, you can have the Holy Spirit as well. If you, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. You'll have your sins forgiven. You'll receive the Holy Spirit, and you can do the very things that we're doing. You can share that same message. So where is the controversy? In all of this excitement, why do we get bogged down and hung up with twisting a passage? Well, it really comes down to those two words, or three words, repent, but then, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. It seems as a first reading of this that Peter is saying there are two conditions to to have forgiveness of sins and to receive the Holy Spirit. As we read it, it seems as if what Peter is saying is there are two things you must do to be saved. One is to repent, and two is to be baptized. And yes, many, many, many people Many brothers and sisters in Christ, many churches who we fellowship with and partner with will teach Peter is telling people that without being baptized, there is no forgiveness of sins. Many people will tell you from this passage, and a first reading of it seems to indicate that unless you are baptized, there is no forgiveness of sins and you do not have the Holy Spirit. So my question is, is that what this verse is telling us? I mean, we're reading it, and we've, we've made very careful remarks over the last few weeks to read Scripture for what it says. Is that what this verse is saying? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. I'm going to go ahead and put all my cards out on the table this morning. I'm going to start off with the, not a big reveal at the end, but go ahead and tell you that no, that is not what this verse is saying. It's a way that we twist Scripture to read into a verse something that's not there. And so as we study Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and by the way, several other places in Scripture that have a a similar tone, it's going to be very important for you to know before I ever start that as I read Scripture, what I have learned is that salvation is not dependent on any work, including baptism. As a matter of fact, what we find is salvation requires only two things, faith and repentance. Faith and repentance, and that is it. Now, how does that fit in with Acts chapter 2, verse 38? It says, repent and be baptized. How does that fit in with with passages of Scripture where where baptism seems to play such an important role in someone's faith? I I think the the most important thing we can do is back up a little bit from Acts chapter 2. We're going to come back to it towards the end of the the message time, but I think we need to take a look at, at the whole of Scripture and the whole teaching of the New Testament on what is required for salvation. First of all, if you're taking notes, and I hope you do, you can fill in your blanks. Salvation requires faith and repentance. But next to that word salvation, I want you to write the word justification. Just jot that next to salvation. It's spelled up there for you if you're like me and have a hard time spelling. Write the word justification. 
When you read in Scripture about being saved, there's really two main ways that God reveals his salvation to us. So if you can bear with me for just a minute, it's important, a very important distinction here that we understand these two fancy church words. So that way when you read about them or hear about them in the future, you'll know what they mean. Salvation is given to us in two distinct ways processes two ways that we receive and process salvation one is justification and the other is sanctification now if you're already thinking these words are bigger than what you can handle it's okay i'm here to guide you through what these words mean justification means the moment in time that we were made right before god and in one sense of salvation the day you repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are sealed and saved. We get the word justified from that. Made right. Everything that was wrong with your sin is paid for, it's taken care of, and you are no longer in your identity guilty of your sin. Jesus Christ has justified you and made you right. In that way of thinking of salvation which is all throughout Scripture, there is one point in time that your salvation is sealed. There's another way that Scripture unfolds our salvation. Another process by which we are saved, and that is this word sanctification. It's this understanding that just because you're made right before God doesn't mean you're perfect, right? You still mess up. So you accept Christ, you repent from your sins, and I want to follow you. At that moment in time, you are right before God, but you are still a sinful human being. And so Scripture reveals salvation in what they call sanctification, which means you are constantly in the process of being more and more like God, and you're not there yet. It's continual, and it's, it's, it's going to keep happening the duration of your life. There is a third aspect that we won't even mention this morning in detail, but the third aspect is what we call glorification, and that's really the end of your process of being made like Christ. One day, when you stand before God, He is going to completely and totally change you so that you are perfect, so that your physical body is a perfect body, that your spirit has no sin and does not sin, and there will come a point in time in the future, but we're not there yet. It's important for us to understand the difference between being justified and being sanctified because there are places in Scripture where our sanctification, our ongoing process, requires us to be baptized. Now, that doesn't mean it justifies us and makes us right with God. It means if we're wanting to be more and more like Christ and be more and more obedient, part of that obedience is following in baptism. But we have to separate and ask ourselves the question, do you have to be baptized to be justified and made right before God? Do you have to go into the water in order to, to have a right relationship and, and a, a seal and a guarantee that you're going to heaven? Does baptism, uh, is it a prerequisite for you to be saved in this way? Well, I want to look at several passages of Scripture and let, let the Bible teach us instead of me just telling you my opinion, which I've done so far. So if you've got your Bible, you can flip back and forth. They'll be up on the screen. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. You can also just jot down the references, or, or if you tap the sermon notes, if you've got your, your bulletin digitally, it'll pull up the passages for you as well. First, I want to look at Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Listen to what Paul writes. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So Paul 
tells us here that our justification, the moment we are made right before God, has nothing to do with any work, any law, any action whatsoever. It's wholly hinged on whether we have faith in God or not. And so what we find is that Paul does not believe that a work adds to your justification and your right standing before God. How about Romans chapter 5, verse 1? Therefore, since we have been justified, there's that word again, made right before God by what? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No work, no action, no, no law that we have to fulfill. We are made right before God by faith. Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work, all right, so no work, but believes in him who, again, here's that word, justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So here, Paul wants to make very clear, it's the person who doesn't try to work for it, doesn't do an action or an activity, isn't striving through the law, but, but just believes in the God who justifies. His faith is what makes him righteous his faith is what justifies him how about the most popular verse in all of scripture you wondered why you had to memorize this verse at some point john three sixteen tells us god so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes and is baptized is that what it says no whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life so what is important in having eternal life? Is it an action? Is it a work? No, it's a belief. It's a faith. It's a repentance. Our last verse, and we could turn to a lot of places, but Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says, you, you, by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And this is not your own doing. Some translations say this is not a work. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast paul wants to make it very clear there is no action you can do that justifies you before god salvation all throughout the new testament always and only requires faith and repentance here's an interesting self-study if you really want to dig into the word of god i encourage you from time to time just to set some time aside and say i'm going to look and read as much as i can of the bible and try to discover this for myself Use a Google search if you want. If you, if you want to use a, a commentary or a concordance, we have some, some resources you could borrow here from our church. But do a study and look for references to how someone is saved. You will find, I'm going to go ahead and tell you your, your answers, but you can do this for yourself. You will find sometimes the Bible says you must repent to be saved. That literally means what, what you're doing and the way you're living, you need to ask forgiveness and turn away from that turn away from your sin sometimes it will say repent and you'll be saved sometimes it will say that you need to believe or have faith it'll just reference belief if you put your faith in jesus christ you will be saved sometimes it'll put them both together you'll find places in scripture that says you have to repent and believe in order to be saved and I think it's fair to say, if you do some studying, you will find some passage of Scripture that will have any combination of repent, believe, and be baptized. Sometimes you'll find that. Repent and be baptized. Believe and be baptized. Repent, believe, and be baptized. But you know what you never find by itself? 
you never find be baptized independently of repent and believe. In other words, there are times when repentance is required or, or belief and faith are required, but never do you find simple baptism. The requirements of Scripture do not tell you to be baptized. It tells you to put your faith and trust in Christ. So here's your, your lesson in interpreting Scripture this morning, and that is this. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let the Bible speak for itself. When you come across a difficult passage like Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, instead of jumping to a conclusion, ask yourself, what does the whole of Scripture teach me? What does it tell me? What do I know for certain? And I think we've shared a pretty compelling case that we know for certain that repentance and faith, belief, are required for salvation and that no work can save you. If you know that, start there and then get to your difficult passage and say, I know it can't mean baptism saves you because all of Scripture teaches differently. By the way, this is a, a great way to interpret any difficult passage of Scripture. You know, Jesus says in the book of Luke that if you don't hate your mother and father, your brother and sister, even your own life, you can't be his disciple. Do you know what he says that? That's not taken out of context. That's not twisted. Jesus actually says those words. If you don't hate your mother and father, your brother and sister, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. It's a difficult passage. What do we do when we come to difficult passages? We let Scripture interpret Scripture. You know what we know from all of Scripture? Is that we're supposed to honor our mother and father. We know that. That includes love, right? We know that we're supposed to care about our brothers and sisters. And we know that God has created us in His image and that our life is valuable. So what it can't mean is we should have some self-hate or, or hatred towards other people. We have to let the whole of Scripture come to a difficult passage and say, we know what it doesn't mean, now let's study and figure out what it does mean. By the way, sermon inside of a sermon, what it means is to follow Christ, you must be willing to forsake everything. So we look at this passage, repent and believe, and we know immediately, based on all of Scripture, that it cannot possibly mean that baptism plays a part in our justification being made right before God. And so this morning, I, I want to tell you that I believe that repentance is causative, whereas baptism is reflective. I'm going to unpack that complicated phrase here in just a minute. Repentance is causative. In other words, it causes our salvation, whereas baptism reflects on the salvation we already have. It looks back to our salvation. Let's read this verse again. Acts 2.38 Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. We know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean baptism saves you. So how are we to read this? Well, if we understand that repentance is what causes our salvation and baptism reflects on that salvation, we can, we can start to understand what, what, Paul, or what Peter is saying here. Let me give you a, an example. I actually heard something similar to this from, from a theologian named John Piper, and I, I think it's great. I'm changing some of the places to, to kind of fit into our context here. Let's say you're going to Effingham, and you're going to get on the train, and you're going to go up to Chicago. And you've got your ticket. You know what time it's supposed to leave. I'm there dropping you off. And it's a, it's a cooler, cold day. 
right? And the train's coming, and I, I look at you, and I say, grab your coat and run, or you're going to miss the train, right? I've given you two commands, haven't I? I've told you to grab your coat, and I've told you to run. Those two things are important for you to get on the train. However, which of those two commands are actually going to make sure you get on the train in time? Grabbing your coat will not help you get on the train in time. Now, there may be a hundred reasons why it's important for you to grab your coat. You're going up to Chicago, the Windy City. It's cold. You're going to need it. But only one of those commands is causative. Only one of those commands will ensure that you are on the train. With that in mind, let's read this again. And, and I wonder if what Peter is saying, I don't wonder, I'm sure what Peter is saying is there's all sorts of reasons why being baptized is important. But it's not causative. Repent. Repentance. Faith and belief. That will give you forgiveness of sins. And that will, that will allow God to give you the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Only one of those commands gets you on the train of justification. Only one of those commands is imperative to your salvation. I don't want to belittle this morning the importance of baptism. As a matter of fact, I, I think outside of our decision to accept Christ as Savior and Lord, it is our most important responsibility in our relationship to God that we have. God calls us to, hopefully quickly after we make a decision to follow Christ, to share that publicly with baptism. It's, it's not as if he brushes it aside and says, it, it doesn't save you, don't worry about it. It's not all that important. Don't, don't focus on that. God says it's important, right? Grab your coat and run. Repent and be baptized. I have this to, to give you, to show you, so you can tell others about your faith in Christ. Baptism is an extremely important act, but it is not causative. All baptism does, or what baptism does, is proudly displays to brothers and sisters in Christ, to lost family and friends, to anyone who may see you in those waters. There was a time that you were dead in your sins, but God raised you out of your sins. There, there was a time in your life when, when you were broken and rebelling, but God has washed you of your sins and forgiven you through repentance and faith. This morning, I, I want to tell you, this chapter, Acts chapter 2, is an exciting chapter. Let's not get huddled around the controversy of repent and be baptized. People's lives are being changed. Literally, thousands of people are hearing the message that Jesus Christ wants to save them. And they're looking at Peter saying, I'll do whatever. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Tell me what I must do to be saved. And Peter looks at them and he says, I'll tell you exactly what you need to do. Repent. Turn from your sin. Put your faith and trust that God has saved you through his son, Jesus Christ. Allow Jesus to take your punishment because you deserve it. But he paid for it. And by the way, show and tell others. Once you've received that, once you've accepted that, get in the water. Let people know about it. As joyful as that makes you, let other people rejoice with you. Get on the train of salvation this morning. I love Peter's heart and his passion. And let me tell you this morning, it's the same heart and passion that I, I implore you this morning. Repent 
and be baptized, show it, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning so that you can be justified and made right before God. Let's pray together. Father, my favorite thing to to hear about are people coming to faith through Jesus Christ. Lord, we love to hear people in in our day and time put their faith and trust in Christ. Lord, it, it encourages us, but let us not lose sight of the fact that just because this took place 2,000 years ago, this was no minor event. Lord, you changed people's lives that day. Lord, we pray for our own hearts to be convicted this morning. Lord, we pray that, that you would move in our lives in such a way to, to make us ask the question, what must we do to be justified, to be made right before God? And Lord, let us hear the words of Peter the words of scripture that say repent, that say believe, to trust you as Savior and the one who forgives our sins and as Lord, the one who guides us and points us to the way we should live. Lord, let us submit to you through repentance and belief this morning. Lord, we thank you that the promise is that we will receive the Holy Spirit, that our our sins will be forgiven. Lord, let us cling to that hope and that promise this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.